Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Tom Colzer, founder of AWeber. And if you want to learn how to connect with world-class people, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chapel, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Build Your Network. Today, I am chatting with Tom Colzer. Tom is the founder and CEO over at AWeber, the leading email marketing automation platform for small businesses. Over the company's 20-plus year history, Tom has nurtured AWeber from a small startup to a robust organization that has enabled more than 1 million customers to grow their businesses. Guys, this is going to be such an amazing conversation and I can't wait to jump into some of the things that we're going to talk about. But first, really quickly, if you're listening to this and you are a six or seven figure entrepreneur and you've always been curious about podcasting and how it could help your business, but you're just not sure how to get started or what to do or where to even buy equipment or find a media host or any of those things, then have me and my team build it for you. Head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. There's a quick application, and then we'll jump on a phone call to see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you. That's travischapel.com slash make my podcast. Tom, what's up, man? Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me, Travis. Yes, sir. So a robust, robust bio there with uh, the history of AWeber and how many customers you've been able to serve. But before we get into that, I want to chat with you a little bit about the beginning of all of this. So let's take it back like all the way back. Let's go 11, 12-year-old Tom. Talk to me about what... Oh, you're going way back then. Hi, <laughs> man. Yeah, we got we to gotta see you know, who Tom is and then we can, we can see about 
what Tom does. So Okay, so 11-year-old Tom. Probably the best place to start there was I was kind of always one of those kids that was doing the odd jobs. So my mom and dad owned a, um, I always called it a sewing sewing factory, but like they produced, you know, like dresses and those sort of things in central PA. And before a lot of the garment industry was offshored <laughs> to a great extent. And I was big into uh, bicycling at the time and I would ride myself, uh, I don't know, 15 miles or so to the factory each day. And it was a little factory in a little town in central PA. And I'd ride my bike there and I'd work during the day doing all kinds of odds and ends. I usually worked with, um, gosh, what was his name? Ronnie? You know, doing odds and ends around the facility, fixing stuff up and whatnot. Me being like, you know, 11, 12 year old, uh, little boy working in a factory full of women. I was very popular just in general. Everyone was always kind of like, I had like, you know, 80 moms, <laughs> basically. Because <laughs> um, everyone was always trying to look after me, make sure that I was okay. I was just that kid that always had some sort of an odd job and was looking for some way to make money, you know, where it was shoveling driveways, mowing lawns, raking leaves. Like I was always kind of doing the, doing the odd job, kind of trying to entrepreneurial, you know, go around, knock on doors, like, Hey, you got a lot of leaves in the front yard. Can I rake them for 20 bucks? And sure, yeah. you know, I was not good at price setting back then because almost all of my customers paid me more than I asked for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah so always, always trying to make a buck though. Yeah, I was always, yeah, I was always trying to fill my time with something I felt was useful. And not that I necessarily had something to spend it on all the time. It was just like, it was the thing that I did that it felt like the right thing to be doing. I was, you know, I play as a kid too. Sure. You know, I had lots of friends and that sort of stuff. But like, it wasn't, uh, I don't really ever feel like my parents were pushing me to do it. It was just kind of like in my nature to just kind of always have some sort of odd gig. <laughs> Yeah. Back before the gig economy, you know, you definitely seem to have that entrepreneurial itch, you know, <sighs> since the time that you were a kid. And I always find it interesting when when people don't have like parents or a culture that pushes them towards those things, where they just kind of do it. Do you think, or do you have an opinion on this that entrepreneurship is something that is taught, or is it something that's just kind of born inside of you? I don't know because I have such a cross section of people that I know that own and run companies that you know there's there's kind of three quadrants that I look at is there's like the entrepreneur that like started the company and has grown it over the years and really you know grown with the company and then there's you know kind of the higher guns that are brought in to like run an established company whether it's a big one or small one but like to run a company to some extent and then there's a lot of folks that kind of end up in leadership positions in companies as a result of like family businesses and I think that's really common and more common than most people realize is that kind of family business dynamic where you might have grown up around your mom or dad's company and ultimately kind of whether it was intentional or not ended up you know running that company on a day-to-day basis. And I think there's a lot of businesses like that in the US and around the world that people tend to overlook when you're thinking about kind of entrepreneurism. So I don't know. I think it can be I think it can be taught just as much as it's kind of inherently in you. And I wouldn't say that it's like inherently in me. It was definitely a learning experience. Every day is a learning experience. (laughs) But uh, I would say it can both be learned as well as taught. I think it's more uh, whether or not you achieve success with it in the long term is, there's so many factors that go into it. You know, a lot of times I feel like it's luck, but the, uh, you know, just kind of that stick with itness, like not, not giving up kind of thing. And even maybe dropping a particular idea, but like trying a different idea, you know, there's lots of businesses that have been, there's lots of stories out there of big businesses that have started with one idea 
it really was not making it. They were moments away from completely folding and they like iterated and did something completely different. You can kind of see where the root is in their original company, but like completely different. And now they're like, you know, gigantic companies. Yeah, because of a pivot that happened. So I'm curious yep. as to how these entrepreneurial tendencies kind of started showing themselves to you as you started to grow a little bit older. So like later high school and maybe into the college years, did you continue doing a lot of those things that you were doing as a kid? Yeah. So kind of going back again, like, you know, my grandfather owned kind of sole proprietor, like excavation companies. So think bulldozers and backhoes and dump trucks and kind of stuff. And I'd always go work with him in the summers. And I was kind of his helper guy. And uh, so I kind of grew up to some extent around these kind of small business experiences and just that like gritty, got to make it work kind of thing. And I think through high school, high school, I went and got like kind of a normal job. I worked at, uh, probably didn't have these out in Vegas, but I worked at a Sizzler for a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, the <laughs> kind of bad steakhouse-ish, yeah, if you exactly. want to even call the steakhouse. <laughs> they thought they sold steaks, but they weren't really steaks. <laughs> small, small town steakhouse. Yeah. I worked in an olive garden for a number of years and I've done like all the jobs, whether it was waiting tables, doing, doing cook, washing dishes. The thing that I did the most at Olive Garden was bussing tables. I love that because I could just crank through and I actually made more money than most of the uh, waiters there because we got a percentage of tips and I oh, figured really? out, I kind of figured out the system of like how to earn the most each night. So by the way that I bust the tables and so forth. So it's, it's, it was kind of an interesting, like looking back on it, it was kind of like an interesting like economics lesson For sure. in that like, you know, people that would tip you more, it's like, well, I bust your tables first. <laughs> People that were kind of stingy or were bad waiters or, you know, bad servers in some way, like they didn't get their tables bust quite as soon. So they didn't get as many tables during an, uh, you know, an evening shift. So it was kind of, you know, whether it was intentional at the time, it was, it, you know, it was kind of one of those like microeconomic kind of experiences that later serves you well in running a business. But I think like eventually that kind of led me to a Weber where I am now while I was going to college. I had two different majors. I started as mechanical engineering and then I switched to finance and then I ultimately dropped out to start a software company. <laughs> Go <Yeah>. figure. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was selling wireless modems on the side at like computer shows and those sort of things. And this is back before we all had iPhones and stuff in our pocket with high speed bandwidth. And I had developed this automated email thing that ultimately became a Weber, which is the company now. So yeah, so it was kind of one one thing after the other that kind of right. led, you know, like I'd love to say there was a business plan and I intended to start a Weber. It was more that I kind of like had this idea. A bunch of people said they pay me for it. And I said, hmm, maybe there's a way to make some money while I'm in college here. And, hmm. Oh, wait, never mind. Let's drop out for a semester and run this a Weber thing. And then 22 years later, here we are. I wanted to kind of acknowledge you for a second too. You clearly have always had a strong work ethic in this entire story, the whole time we've been talking so far. That's been a recurring theme in your life, it seems, where you're always working. You're always putting in work and willing to put in work and do a good job with the work that you were doing. Do you attribute that to anything or is that just kind of something that you just always kind of did it? Or was there a certain influence yeah, or a certain, you know, belief I, system that made you do that? I don't know if there was like a super conscious one, but like, you know, I had good parents growing up and you know, my parents got divorced at right, actually right around that like 10, 11 years old age, you know, so I had stepdad growing up and whatnot. And like they, all of those, all of my kind of parental figures were good influences on me overall. They were 
hard workers and always wanted to do a good job and were very ethical about what they did. And I think that those, you know, I'm sure it was intentional on their part. I don't ever really remember like sitting down and talking about ethics and working hard and those kind of things. Like kids don't remember that. It's just kind of, it builds up over time. You know what I mean? Kids learn so much just from what you do, not from what you say. I mean, it says a lot for your, the, the figures that you had in your life, because that was clearly something that you probably picked up from them just by watching their actions and the fact that they put hard work and they acted with integrity and treated people well and something that was obviously able to translate into your life. effectively. Absolutely. So yeah, definitely have good parents. Thank you guys if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's chat a little bit more about AWeber. This was, I mean, 22 years is a long time for any, any business, but especially a email automation business that started 22 years ago. I mean, this was really the invention of email service providers, right? I mean, like this was back and that would be 1998 that you started? Is that right? Yeah, what we were doing back at the time didn't really exist, which was part of why I started what I started. You know, I didn't really think of it as like inventing anything necessarily. But yeah, it was certainly you know, ahead of its time from that component, you know, now when I look back on it, you know, like if you go to the Wayback Machine and look at our original website, it was mm. pretty atrocious, but so was most <laughs> of the web then. <laughs> everything online. Then. Yeah, exactly. Let's just put it this way. I had one of those little like animated credit card icons, if, if, yes. if you remember back that far. <laughs> so, awesome. It wasn't pretty, but everybody had one of those back then. <laughs> yeah, Got to put a picture of that somewhere. Or something. Our designers like to pull that up now every now and then and oh, be yeah. like, you know, we can make the website look like this, Tom. And I was like, no, 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 please don't. Yeah. <laughs> just, do, just do a throwback year where it's just all 1998 stuff. Yeah. But uh, no, like what we do now is so fundamentally different than what we did you know, 22 years ago. It's not even remotely the same product. Just the name is the same. What we ultimately do, we send emails and we do a whole bunch of stuff beyond that now. But yeah, it's evolved a lot over the years. Talk to me about uh, the benefits and struggles of building a software company. This is top of mind for me right now because I mean, by the time this episode comes out, I will have launched my software and I find the industry to be just so, so intriguing with the, the business model, the gross margins and all that kind of stuff, the things that it has to offer. Can, can you talk a little bit into the, the benefits of starting a software company and then what were some of the big struggles that, uh, that you had to overcome? You know, software has evolved a lot and continues to evolve a lot, you know, year over year and even month to month in some cases. You know, I think the gross margins that everyone talks about are evaporating <laughs> In many ways, due to you know increased competition and just the cost of doing business, like what it requires in order to build a product these days is so much more than what it required to build you know the same product years ago. Like the things that you spend a lot of time on now are very different than the things you built you know years ago. So I think that that's evolving quickly. I think a lot of new folks don't necessarily take those into consideration. But at the same time, like there's things like we probably spend 20 to 30% of our engineering time on literally doing nothing other than preventing people from abusing our platform in some way, shape or form. And that, you know, not every piece of software necessarily has that same issue as we do in the email space. At the end of the day, for us is also a unique selling proposition of like we keep the bad guys off, which means you get really good deliverability. Um, but keeping the bad guys off is tricky 
you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of economic incentive to try to do bad things. So we spend a lot of time making sure that our systems are tight to keep that sort of stuff off and to make sure that we're not restricting all the good users that we have. And we have a lot of them, as, as you said in your opener there. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. At the end of the day, like software is something where, you know, particularly in a reoccurring SaaS model, software as a service model, it's it's a reoccurring base. So like it's very predictable, you know, it's very measurable in, in many ways, you know, so it has, it has a lot of upsides and it, I would, and it definitely can scale, you know, depending on what it is that you're selling with software. If you're just selling software, if there's some, you know, human components along with it, I think there's more human components than many people realize, you know, even just supporting your software. Like we, you know, spend a lot of time and effort supporting our customers with our customer solutions team. Like we have 24 seven customer solutions operations and like that's, it both costs a lot both in like just the hour, you know, the base hourly paying the people, but also like in training and tools and all the systems that you do to, you know, treat each of our customers as the individual that they are and not just like a monolithic number kind of thing. And I think that that distinction shows when you do that right. And we've run a lot of customer service awards. So I think that comes through in, in a strong way. You know, I think over the years, you know, you kind of, what was it you, you asked, uh, like what were the pitfalls of, of growing a software company? Honestly, I think most people talk about too many of the positives and not enough of the negatives. Uh, like the press in general and just the media overall, like kind of tends to like idolize entrepreneurship as this fabulous thing. And then like when people get into like the thick and dirty of it, they realize like it's not quite as glamorous as it, it necessarily seems. And I'm certainly not complaining by any stretch. <laughs> 
you know, I have a good life. <laughs> um, but like, you know, there's lots of minutiae that you end up dealing with on a daily basis that, that most of the the general public doesn't deal with, you know, whether it's, you know, hiring and people management and systems management and, you know, dealing with vendors and, you know, committing to contracts long-term that you probably shouldn't have or you outgrow and then you need to renegotiate and you get screwed as a result. Like there's lots of different ways that, you know, that are kind of downsides. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, from like a struggle, like, you know, one of my early struggles and kind of biggest mistakes if I went back to like the early days was like, frankly, not hiring soon enough as like a new business. You know, we, I had the revenue and I was still running everything, but because my hair was like on fire with trying to run everything, I didn't dedicate the time or the like take the time to learn the best way to like hire someone initially. And that always seemed like a big scary thing to me. So I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off until at a certain point I just had to do it. There was just no way about it. But like a year and a half to two years into into having started AWeber with several thousand customers, I hired I started I finally hired my first person. And what was that position you hired first. Uh, customer solutions, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, I had so many customers at the time that like I'd spend all day, you know, helping customers. And then like in the evenings I did marketing and accounting and, you know, you know, sales and, and all the other, you know, website building and software development and all the other things that went into like building what I was building at the time. Cause I literally did the vast majority of myself. There's a little bit that was subcontracted. 90% of it was me. So I think that that's like, it's those toils that both in hiring sooner, but also just the toils that, and struggles that you have as an early entrepreneur, I don't think get talked about enough in the general media and that everybody just looks at everybody as like, oh, well, they're successful. Like that just happened overnight. Right. Like, I didn't take a day off for like, you know, almost 10 years, <laughs> like literally no days off. So I was working in some way, shape or form every single day, you know, but at the same time, like I don't look at work as necessarily work. And I even talk about that with my wife now, like my wife will go and watch like a TV show in the evening, like I'll sit down at the computer again. And it's like, cause it's fun to me. And I'm not like working on a particular project thing. It's like, I'm hacking around at something. I'm working on a comp for something or, you know, you know, researching something like it's just, it's the stuff that like stimulates my brain and is interesting and entertaining to me. It's not like something that I consider like work. I'm not like punching in and punching out. I think that's probably the biggest distinction that makes like a really successful business owner and someone that doesn't is like do something that you're passionate about, help people that you care for. You know, I think generally the results come as a result of having focused on those things first. Let's kind of shift the conversation a little bit here and chat about relationship building for the last few minutes. This is a question, Tom, that I've asked every single person that's come on the show. And so I'm curious to hear what your answer would be. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Yes. <laughs> um, it's uh, do I have to pick one? Right. It's always a combination, but I make people I make people pick one though. If you had to say it's forty nine fifty one, which one's fifty one? I would say it's what you know because what you know helps you know different people as a result of that. Like no one wants to like no one wants to know like an empty vacuum, you know, like an empty vessel, I think is the, is the right okay. phrase there. Like, you know, so being a resource for other people, you know, you have friends and be social and that sort of stuff. But like at a certain point, like the who you know is also like, well, what can I do for other people? 
in what way am I beneficial, you know, to them and can connect them to other people or help them out in whatever struggle that they have. So I think that the who you know, or excuse me, the what you know starts first. And then the who you know kind of is a byproduct of what you know. Have there been any relationships that you've had along the way, whether it be like a mentor or even a vendor or an employee or any relationships along the way that you really look at as being like, man, I, I, I don't know how I would have been able to get to, you know, this place or to this opportunity if it weren't for this person? Yeah, I could definitely name a couple of people that, that are, you know, one particular guy that pops to mind. His name's Paul. He lives in uh, Northwestern PA. And uh, he really helped, you know, connect me to different professional organizations that have been very valuable for me, both as uh, who I know, as well as what I know, and kind of my own personal, professional, you know, personal and professional growth over the years. And that, it's funny, that relationship came about as a result of an email newsletter that I started before I started AWeber and was a function of what I know <laughs> was how that relationship originally came about. It was like a marketing newsletter. It was like a curated thing. And I was just like the curator and people would submit questions and so forth. And he was a subscriber and we just, I don't, I don't even remember exactly how we hit it off initially, but we just, it was emails back and forth. And I hadn't met him for years until I finally met him at a, a professional conference that we got together at. And it was like, you know, meeting your best friend you know, <laughs> 15 right, years ago. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Well, that's the, that's the interesting thing about, about relationships, man, is like, you never know how they're going to come about when they're going to, you know, affect your life, you know, in, in, in what type of magnitude or to what degree. It's just the consistent act of being willing and open to have the conversations with, with those people and uh, continue to add value back and forth that ends up happening, ends up producing a lot of amazing re results in your life that, you know, without those people being there that you probably would have never had. You know what I mean? They're just those sharpening type of relationships that turn you into a better version of yourself that's capable of doing more and achieving more and, and, and reaching the goals you have set out for yourself. Absolutely. I think the people that are, you know, like I, I tell our team, I talk about it with our team on a regular basis, like do one thing that scares you every day. Because like if you're doing something that's not scary, it's probably something you've already done before and it's probably not going to grow you much. Whereas if you're doing something scary, it's probably something you've never done. It's going to have some sort of impact, good, bad or otherwise, and is likely to change you in some way that you can't predict. So, you know, try to do something scary a little every day. And that's, you know, put yourself out there to speak more or to go on, you know, shows like this or just walk up to some random stranger at a, you know, professional outing and, and introduce yourself. You really never know. You know, you sit on an airplane, talk to the person that's sitting next to you. You never know who they are. I've met some fascinating people on airplanes. <laughs> you know, you really never know. You just have to be open to that, those opportunities. Absolutely. I want to ask you this question as a, you know, as being a very successful tech CEO, how do you go about creating good relationships with two really core groups of people, your customer base and your employees? Do you have any, any strategies on, on you know, maybe leadership or communication that would help people build better relationships with their customers and their employees? You know, first and foremost, like just be yourself, unless you're just a jerk, <laughs> you know, but like, be, you know, be yourself. I think people really identify with like people that are genuine, you know, show, show who you are on a regular basis. Like be, you know, be that genuine person, show your, show your emotions, you know, particularly with your team, you know, maybe not so much as, as your customers, but like, you know, be, be willing to say like, you know, I was wrong. 
you know, and both to your team and your customers, because at times we make bad decisions as leaders and you need to, you need to change course. Try to be as transparent as possible, both with customers and, and others. I, I think it's just, I think that's, you know, as particularly as companies grow, they kind of turn on, they, they become this kind of amorphous, like corporate citizen. Yeah, right. And it's like, you want something to be bigger than you, but you at the same time, like you don't want it to become this like personality list, like yeah. just kind of blob. Yeah, you um, completely abandon the values that helped you build the foundation, right? Exactly. And, and that's why. I, and then like you get married to them and then they end up being a completely different person. You know what I mean? It's like, exactly. You, you <laughs> what? advertise something that was different <laughs> than the product was. <laughs> exactly. You know, I think it's, uh, yeah, just, you know, show up and be, be your genuine self, I, I think is, is, is more than, more than anything, what, what you really need to do to, you know, help, you know, connect with both of those audiences. So at the end of the day, they're all people. Yeah. You know, just connect with people. So, you know, it's part of our overall vision. Vision, like Aweber's vision and mission is connect people in remarkable ways. Notice mm-hmm. none of that is email. <laughs> There's no email in there. It's just connecting people. And while we do that predominantly with uh, email currently, we also connect with people in a lot of other ways via social channels, via offline, you know, via phone calls, via, you know, in-person conferences, you, you name it, you know, are connecting with folks and helping millions of people around the world every day. So it's, uh, it's really cool to be able to have that impact. You know, that's the thing that gets me up every day. And I like to think that that's the thing that most of our team gets up every day for as well. It's not just like getting paid. Well, Tom, this has been such a fun conversation. Let's go ahead and move on to the last segment here. Something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions, quick random answers. Ready? Sure. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? I'd love to be a snowboard guide, like a back mountain snowboard guide. Totally random. (laughs) How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Yes, all of the above. I read a lot, not as many books as I would like to, but I read like a lot of online articles. I read a lot of email newsletters um, and I watch a lot of YouTube, a lot of like informational YouTube. If you could sit on a park bench with somebody past or present, chat for an hour, who would it be? My 18-year-old self. (laughs) That is a good answer. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I uh, wake up and I eat breakfast, read a little bit of news. Uh, I try to eat breakfast outside uh, when I can, when the weather's nice. It always just kind of helps because I sit inside all day. Spend maybe 20 minutes or so reading emails when I sit down at my desk and answering emails to like unblock anybody for the day that might be blocked by something that they sent me overnight or late in the afternoon the day before. And then after that, I jump into my to-do list. And the to-do list is something that I usually set out the night before, like before I go to sleep, I mark the things on my, I use OmniFocus for kind of to-do project management and I mark each of the things that are most essential for me to get done the next day and I have that outlined before I even start the next day. What Uh, is your go-to pump-up song? MGMT Kids. Oh, that's a good one. What is something, besides like putting business aside, what's something that you're just not really good at? People management. Oh, putting good, putting the business aside? Yeah, yeah. Taking business out of the equation. For instance, I suck at folding clothes. But <laughs> I try to do the laundry from my like for my wife as like a you know helping you out today type of a thing. It's like uh, 
my uh, wife would tell me I'm bad at that, but she would say I'm, I'm intentionally sabotaging it so I don't have to do it. <laughs> you know, that could also be a very subconscious thing for sure. <laughs> um, it's just what do I suck at? Bad. Sitting still. Mm. I'll be at, I sit at a computer all the time, but like when I'm not at the computer, like I'm always doing something active. Like I just, I have to be doing stuff. As we get everything wrapped up here, Tom, what is one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? You can check me out on Twitter. I'm under uh, T. Kulzer, T-K-U-L-Z-E-R. And I'm also really easy to find on email at tom at aweber.com. So that is at T. Kulzer over at Twitter. And then shoot him an email. Guys, some of the people that come on this show are so amazing in what things and in, in the things that they've been able to do in their lives. And they come on here and give you exact ways to get a hold of them and reach out. And yet so many of you don't take the opportunity to do so. So please, please, please take advantage of some of, uh, of, some of the, the email addresses you get on this and shoot an email, reach out, say thanks for, for coming here on the show. Tom, I appreciate you spending some time with us today. I had a fantastic time. Likewise, it's been fun. Thanks for having me, Travis. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls, there's accountability crews and more, all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.